we started a sermon on what have you been calling yourself lately? What have you been calling yourself lately? 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verses 26 to 27. It says, For you see your calling brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Ephesians 1, I don't have that up there. Ephesians 1 chapter 4 says, God chose you. God chose you before the foundation of of time. God chose you. God chose me. God had many options. But God chose you. God chose me. And in your eyes, you might not amount amount to anything with the world, what the world calls great and mighty and wise. But God doesn't take permission from the world to put his calling on you. He calls you because he knows what he's putting you. And Isaiah 55 verse 8 and 9, verses 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Nor are my ways your ways, says the Lord. As for the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts more than your thoughts. Isaiah 40 verse 28 says, Have you not known, have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the heaven, ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. Why am I bringing these foundation scriptures? Because the way we look at ourselves, the picture God has of us, is so very different from the picture we have of ourselves. God has a picture of you. God has a picture of me. That if God opens your eyes in the spirit to see it, you will be amazed. And so God speaks to you from that picture of you that he sees, that he knows, because he made you. Jesus says, Lo, behold, I come to fulfill all that was written about me in the volume of the book. The same with you, the same with me. I'm very big on fulfilling destiny. I'm very big on it. Because I know that if we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us, we will change the way we talk. Because we are very quick to agree with the enemy what he wants you to be. Oh, I'm weak. And so you say all the time, I'm weak. And as you say it, the weakness multiplies. I'm sick. That's all you talk about. I'm sick. I'm sick. I have this. I have that. And the more you say it, God says what you say is what you will have. That's just how it is. And so my goal is to have us as believers, as men and women, the kingdom people, begin to act and speak and behave and think different than just ordinary people. We are not ordinary 
We are not ordinary. God says he saved us not only that, that he took us and put us high above to sit with Christ in heavenly places. He says far above. Far above. That's where we are. And we need to see ourselves that way. And we need to start talking about ourselves, about our situations that way. And step into God's picture of you. Last week we started talking about Gideon. In the book of Judges, all throughout the book of Judges, what you will see is God's people doing well. God blesses them. They are doing well. They are doing great. And then all of a sudden they get into ease and then they begin to do things that are not pleasing to God. And then God always gives them in to their enemies for oppression and for slavery. And when it gets really hard, they cry out to the Lord. And God will send a deliverer. And that deliverer will come and conquer the enemies and things will get well again. And then the cycle begins all over. In the book of Judges, that happened ten times. And in one of those times, we, we come across Gideon. This time it was the Midianites. Joined forces, Amalekites joined forces and they were oppressing the Israelites. And the Bible says they were like a swarm of locusts. And for seven years, for seven years, they so oppressed the children of Israel. And I said last week, sometimes what we go through is because of what we are doing. That's just the truth. We call it weakness, we call it mistakes, but God calls it evil. God calls it evil. Sin is evil. And the churches will need to call it out. So that if things are happening in your life, seven years, the cycle keeps going, go back and say, okay, Lord, is this something I'm doing? So you can ask, because the thing is, when you ask God for forgiveness, He will take care of it. So let's not take, let's not forget that. But then in the middle of all of that, God went to a man called Gideon. Gideon did not see himself at the way God saw him. Gideon was a warrior, a fighter, a soldier, but he became a farmer. Now it's easy to say, oh, because we read the Bible now. But all of us can put ourselves in the shoes of Gideon. If for seven years, seven Year after year after year you plant. And then when it's time for harvest, the enemy comes and steals everything. If that happens to you and I, it's the same thing. I will go into a place, I don't want to do anything to attract the enemy. It's the same thing with Gideon. He was at the point, he didn't want anything to even attract the enemy. So he went into hiding out of fear. To the place that God didn't call him to. How many of us today are Gideons? How many of us here are in a place that that's not where you are supposed to be? Especially spiritually. Especially spiritually. You know that there's a call on your life. You know there is something God wants you to do, no matter what it is. Even if it's in the, in the, in the academic world, in the business world, anywhere. There are seven mountains of influence. It's not just being a pastor. 
There are seven mountains of influence that everyone can make their mark on this earth for the Lord. So you know where God has called you to, but are you there right now? Are you like Gideon, who is a warrior, a soldier, a mighty man of valor, but you are now a farmer, hiding in the wine press, threshing wheat? And so God said to speak to his people today, that it's time for us to start aligning, aligning with the purpose of God for us in our lives. In Judges chapter 6, 12 to 15, And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, Gideon, and said to him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Oh my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened? Isn't that what we ask all the time? God, if you are with me, why am I going through this? And I'm going to come to that. Some of the things that we do and say and how you should know God is with you. Because the assumption is that if everything is going well with you, that's when God is with you. And that is the wrong assumption. It says, and where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. Then the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Because God knew what he put in Gideon. So he said to him, Oh my Lord, how can I save Israel? Indeed, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. God sees what you can become. God calls us what we can become. But as you can see here, Gideon is giving every excuse. Are those facts? Yes. Manasseh was the weakest tribe in Israel. If you go back and read in Genesis, you see what happened. They were mean, they were bad, and God just, God, God spoke some things over them. So they were not, I mean, the strong tribes, no, like Judah, they were not. But does God, did God consult the tribe of Manasseh when he looked for the, the, the weakest tribe and, and the weakest family and the youngest to pick, to pick Gideon? No. God, we don't know why God chose, I don't know why God chose you, I don't know why God chose me. But God chose us. Let the devil fight all he wants to fight. God has chosen you. But are you agreeing with the call of God and why God has chosen you? I read a story this week. I said that is so like how people are. There's this family. The father was a drunk. Beat mom all the time. Mom died. And then the two sons, the two boys. Finally the father died and these two boys grew up. And one of them became a judge. And guess what the other one was? A criminal in prison. And then one day, guess who appeared before the judge? His brother. And after the whole thing was over, and and they came to him, the reporter said, that's your brother. What, What happened here? 
the same home, the same parents, the same circumstance, the same environment. What happened? The one that's been shackled going to jail said, ah, it's because of my upbringing. That's why I'm like this. The judge, when they interviewed him in his chambers, what did he say? Exactly the same thing. So because of my upbringing, that's why I'm like this. So which one are we? Which one are we? We can agree with the enemy and say, okay, because of my upbringing. Oh, Pastor Angela, I don't have the education. I can't do it. I don't have the money. I don't, do, I don't have the influence. I don't have whatever it is. We have excuses. The enemy will always give us excuses why we can't step out. We always give us excuses why we can't step out. He couldn't see clearly. When you are in the wrong place, the first thing is intimidation. That's how you know. And I'm just going to give you a few things that you can know right now. Right now, how you can discern if you are in the right way, in the right place at the right time. The first thing is fear. If you're always fearful and intimidated, you're afraid to do stuff, everything scares you, you need to think, think again. You really need to think because when the enemy intimidates you, he just want to make sure he puts his leg on your neck all the time. The Bible says in Isaiah 41, I love that scripture, Isaiah 41, 15, God has made you a sharp instrument. Look at what it says. It says you will be a new threshing instrument with many sharp teeth. And why? You will tear your enemies apart. That's who you are. But when you are in the wrong place, when you are not right, doing what God has called you to do, when you are living in sin, all that teeth, the enemy takes it out. You become an instrument that starts to thread wheat in the wine press. It's time for us to get our teeth back. You give evidences why things can't, and you can't see clearly. You can't see clearly where is God. Where is God? I've been there. We've all been there. Where is God? Where is God? Why is all of this thing happening? Where are the miracles? But do you know, there are many ways God can show you he's with you. In fact, the fact that you are here today, either listening or here sitting down, is evidence that God is with you. Because you could be anywhere. You could be on another channel. You could be doing anything, but God is speaking to you now to waken you up to say it's time to get out of the threshing floor. It's time to go to the threshing floor rather than come out of the wine press. The fact that you're hearing this message is evidence that God is with you. God is with you. Despite what's going on, God is with you. God has never abandoned you. He's in there with you and he's going to walk through that situation to expand you, expand your capacity. If he's to go back to school, go back to school. If you still get some materials and train yourself, train yourself, spend, invest in yourself so that you can be the best that you can ever be. The world is waiting on us. 
I'm, I, I guess for me, the reason why I'm so passionate about working in your, in your purpose is because when I talk to people and they are telling me or when I see them and I see the potential and then they talk down on themselves, it just lights a fire in me. I'm like, you can't, you can't you see what I see? The giftings that are in there. Life will make you doubt God. We all go through that. Life will make you think God is not there. Gideon, for seven years, when the angel came, he said, where is God? But God will put people in your, in your way. I know that people around me has been evidence for me to know that God is with me. That person that calls you. That person that brings food for you, that will call you and give you a word, that is evidence that God is with you. Even when you think God is silent, you turn on the radio and a word, just one word hits you in your heart. That is God with you. People call you, people visit you. God has put people around you. Whatever situation you are in right now, God has put people around you. That is evidence that God is with you. So don't say God has abandoned you. God will never abandon you. God will give you the right people. God will give you the right, the right message. And God has given us promises in his word also. Find some promises in the word. We have out there some of the, the, the pages we have from, from prayer last night. Please, take on Friday night, take one of them and go home. And there are scriptures there, and each scripture has promises, and we have points. Begin to speak scriptures and speak the word of God over your situation. The Bible says that the word of God will never return to him void. When you pray the word of God, the word of God will accomplish that which God sends it to accomplish. Amen? Amen. So we're going to look at some lessons, principles and lessons we can learn from Gideon. Judges chapter 7, I'm going to read from verses 2 to 7 and then we'll start picking out some things from those verses. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into your hand. Now, let me lay the foundation here. Finally, Gideon, with a lot of convincing, you know, putting out fleeces, God confirmed, God confirmed, God confirmed, through a lot of circumstances, that yes, I am with you. And then finally, Gideon says, okay, I'm going to do what you've called me to do now. Yeah, we are finally there now, right? But there are principles that we must learn that even now, after this message, you've made up your mind. You say, okay, yes, I know this is what God wants me to do. I know this is what I'm going to do to get myself out of this situation. This is what God is calling me. Yes, I know. I want to let you know through the life of Gideon some things you should expect. So that you don't go back again (laughs) to that fresh, to the wine press, okay? Because it's good for us to know these things. Because the road is still going to be rough. But one thing is this. Once you start to obey God and do it God's way, oh my God, God will show himself strong on your behalf. So let's look at some of the things that Gideon had to go through that we will go through also. When we come out of that wine press and say, okay, finally, I'm going to do what God has called me to do. 
So the last, God, God told him, okay, get people. So he made a call and 32,000 men came. Now remember, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they were 120,000. And Gideon called men and he got 32,000. So I'm picking up from there now. Then the Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Excuse me. Too many? They have 120,000. I have 32,000. That's too many? He says, lest Israel boast over me, saying, my own hand has saved me. Verse 3. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of them returned. And 10,000 remained, verse 4. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. (laughs) Take them down to the water and I will test them for you. There and any one of whom I said to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any one of whom I said to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lap, putting their hands to their mouth, were only 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his, to his home. You see what's going on here? From 32,000, <laughs> it came down to 300. 300 against 120,000. As you begin to follow the Lord, the first principle, there will be a reduction. God will begin to take things away from you. God will downsize you to the point where you'll be wondering what is going on. But the downsizing of God, does that mean his favor is not in your life? No. So begin to expect that. People will leave. Finances will leave. Things will leave. And it's not, every time, it's not always the enemy. When things leave you, it's not always the enemy. So that when you begin to see that happen... God begins to take things away and people away from you. So you don't shake your fist at God because God knows what he's doing. That's the principle number one that you must know. That God will downsize you from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300. More is not always less. More is not always better, I mean. More is not always better. Less can be more in the hand of God. Are you willing to give the little you have into God's hand? Even if it seems like God is downsizing you, God is taking away from you day in, day out. And you're saying, it didn't happen like this when I was not following God. Now I've made up my mind to start this business or to go back to school or to start this ministry or to do this. All of a sudden, hell has got, just gotten everything is loose over my life and everything is just going crazy. It could be the hand of God. That's the principle we learn. From, from, from Gideon. Hmm. 
Listen to this. I, when, I, this op, when God opened my eye to this, the second principle. I'm going to read the scripture, Teresa, before you put it on. Let's read the scripture first. Judges chapter 7 verse 1 in the New Living Translation. So Jerubbabel, that's Gideon, and his army got up early and went as far as the spring of Harod. The armies of Midian were camped north of them in the valley. The enemies were in the valley. And when I saw that scripture, God reminded me, I started thinking, I said, do you know every battle the Israelites fought was in the valley? Do you know Goliath was in the valley of Ella? The Philistines, all the defeat, you see the Israelites, do a study on the valley. Just put valley on your phone and type and see. All the battles are always in the valley. That is why God sends you to the valley. When you're going through a hard time, your valley experiences is meant for you to go in and kill some Goliaths. God sends you because there are some giants in your valley that God wants you to kill. The valley experience is a good experience. But we don't see it that way. God told, God told Gideon, said, the armies are in the valley. They are in the valley. God sent Gideon to the valley for a reason. And God sends you and God sends me to our valley experiences for a reason. You don't fight the enemy on the mountaintop. Have you ever fought the enemy when things are going rosy? And, no, you're sleeping. You're enjoying yourself, traveling, having fun. When hard times come, when things are rough, that's when we fight. That's when you take care of things that you don't want to happen again. The valley experiences is when you kill things in your life. That's when you kill yourself. That's when you kill your flesh. That's when you kill desires that are not of God in the valley. So when you are in the valley, there's a reason for us being in the valley. Amen? You never have to fight in the mountaintop. Let me read some quick, uh, quick examples. First Samuel chapter 17, verse 2. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah, that's where Goliath was killed, and drew a battle array against the Philistines. First Chronicles chapter 14, verse 13 to 14. Then the Philistines once again made a raid, where? On the valley. Therefore David inquired again of God, and God said to him, You shall go, you shall not go after them. Circle around them and come upon them in front of the mulberry trees. God says, yeah, in the valleys where I want you to defeat them. One more scripture, 2 Samuel chapter 5, verses 18 to 19. The Philistines also went and deployed themselves in the valley of Rephim. So David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go up against the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hand? And the Lord said to David, go up. For without let deliver the Philistines into your hand, your giant, your problems, everything is in that valley. So as you begin to do the will of God in your life, when things begin to happen, don't curse God. Look for the giants for you to kill. Principle number three is okay to be afraid. 
It's okay to be afraid. But do it afraid. Do it trembling. But don't quit. There are some things that are hard to do. Judges chapter 7 verse 10. God told Gideon says, But if you are afraid to go, to go down, go down. <laughs> I read that like, just like God. He says, if you are afraid to go down, still go down. That's not an excuse. And then you're thinking, one of the other uh, 12,000, 22,000 that he said if they were fear, afraid and trembling. If they had stayed, even though they were trembling and afraid, God would have picked them. But merely God said, okay, those that are afraid and trembling, go home. Everybody took his stuff and they took off. And so when Gideon, the one God, he was afraid too. It was not like Gideon was not afraid. I mean, you're not going to go against 120,000 people and not be afraid. You're not going to start that business and not be afraid you might fail. You're not going to want to go back to school or to do that course and not afraid that you don't have what it takes. You're not going to start the ministry or whatever God has told you to do and not afraid if you have the strength to carry it to the end. But it says even if you're afraid to go down, still go down. Even if you're afraid to do it, still do it. It's what we do. Is See, success. Some people see you and just think you came out of nowhere. Nobody comes out of nowhere. Nobody comes out of nowhere. Nobody becomes a million. Well, yeah, they can become a millionaire overnight if they play lotto. I mean, but truly, the one that lasts, people that are successful, they don't come up overnight. It's consistency. Doing the same thing. Whether they're happy or not. Whether they're tired or not. Whether they feel like it or not. Doing the same thing consistently over and over and over and over again. Whether the flesh says yes or no, they do it. That is where success comes from. Nobody makes it overnight. And so even if you're afraid, you do it today. By tomorrow, the fear level might not be as high anymore. I remember when I... (laughs) I'm telling you, when we started ministry then... I was so scared. I remember the first Sunday school class I taught in that building right there. I was shaking so bad, I finished the bottle of water. The water was finished, I was still, I mean, it was horrible. But I kept doing what God called me to do. When we started our business in 2005, then no nurse practitioner, you, I, when you tell somebody you are a nurse practitioner, they're like, huh? What is that? You have to kind of explain to them, oh, okay, you do, oh, you, okay. That, oh. And so when I walked with Dr. Gardner then, I used to put on my pocket Psalm 12 verse 5 that says, the favor of the Lord surrounds me like a shield. Because immediately I go into a room and I just, all I do is open my mouth. They look at me. Who are you? I'm a nurse practitioner. Nurse who? Where's Dr. Gardner? He wanted me to come and see you. I don't want to see you. Please go call the doctor. That's who I want to see. Over and over and over and over and over. 
I ha- it was so bad that I would have to put those scriptures in my pocket, go to the bathroom, sit on the toilet commode, and bring those four by four cards out just to read, 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 to build my confidence up. Now I know why God was preparing me because of the, the reje- when you are in ministry, the rejections you get, oh my God. You are rejected. I mean, you will cross the ocean for somebody, they won't cross a puddle for you. That is ministry. And that's what my husband and I experienced for 22 years before he went to the Lord. But you see, now I can see how God prepared me. When people rejected me, nobody wants to talk to me. Nobody, and I'm thinking, I know, I know these things. But I stayed the course. By the time I was going away from that practice to start my own thing, I will have 40 people on my schedule, Dr. Gardner, we have seven or eight. When they go to him, where's Angela? We don't want to see you. It's Angela we want to see. He's like, no, you have to see her three times or at least see me one time. That's the law. They're like, oh, okay, but can you have, please, I still want her here. Because I stayed the course. No success will come on a platter of gold. And so in life, when you are afraid or when things happen to you, That's not the reason for you to quit. Because the next thing you are going to do, you are still going to have to face fear. Everything that's going to be good, the enemy will bring fear and discouragement to have you to quit. It's okay to be afraid. Principle number four. The enemy is more afraid of you than you are of him. The enemy is more afraid of you. God told Gideon. He says, okay, all this fear trembling. Okay, just go down to the camp of the enemy and just hear what they are saying. That's all God said. Okay, I mean, he has tried everything. He did the fleece test. He did everything. And here Gideon is still like that. God said, okay, go down to the camp of the enemy so you can hear what they are saying about you. And he went down and there were two men were talking about a dream. One said, oh, I dreamt of a big loaf of bread. Duh. I dreamt and I saw this huge loaf of bread that was tumbling into the camp. And this loaf of bread just tumbled and tumbled and all the tents, it destroyed all the tents. What's the meaning of that dream? What has bread got to do with Gideon? And the second guy said, oh, I know what that means. That's the sword of Gideon. God has already given us into his hand. There are times God will use people to encourage you. You will think you are not doing well. You will think nobody sees you. You will think it's all wasted effort. But God is going to make somebody say something or give you a call to encourage you. So that you can know that the enemy is just scared of you. So that you can give up. The enemy is more afraid of you than you are of him. Amen? Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up. He knows things about you that you don't know about yourself. Remember Job? Job was in his house sleeping when they were having meeting about him in the courts of heaven. What meeting has been held about you? That the enemy is saying, huh? You mean Yvette is going to be doing that? Oh, no, no, no. Every hell, let me make sure the demons are assigned there now. Because of what I heard God saying about Yvette, or saying about Gladys, or saying about Cecilia, whoever. He's more afraid of you. 
And then principle number five, my time is almost up. Don't expect God to ever make sense. God does not make sense. And if you try to have God make sense, you will take all the Tylenol. You will take all the ibuprofen in Walgreens. God will not make sense. Just know that. Judges chapter 7 verse 16. And he divided the 300 men into three companies. And that's what instruction God gave him now. Divide them into three companies. Put trumpets in the hands of all of them. And empty jars with torches inside the jars. Okay, that's the strategy to go fight. 300 men against 120,000 people. Divide them up into 103 different groups. Okay, at least if we're all together, huddling together, maybe we'll have a little bit of... Now you're furthering, you're thinning us out again. Each one, 100 each. And then trumpet, empty jar, and torch. But that's what praise will do. That's what praise will do. When you empty yourself of yourself... God can fill you. You become an empty jar. I told you the other time, take a piece of paper, write everything you wanted God to do, that you felt God hasn't done, burn it. And then take a plain sheet of paper with nothing in it, put it in your Bible. Every day when you do your devotion, I say, God, empty me. This is how I am now, right? Right on me, right on me, right on me. Right on me, whatever it is that you want for me. That's what he's telling them to do. He said, take an empty jar. What are we? We are vessels, right? We are vessels in the hands of God. He said, take, take everything out of it. Empty yourself. Empty yourself of flesh. Empty yourself of your own desires. Empty yourself of your own dreams. Empty yourself of what you planned. Let God plan your life for you. He says, empty yourself. Become an empty jar. And then says, touches. What is that? That's the fire of the Holy Spirit. The zeal of the Lord. Fire. The Holy Spirit. Once you have your praise in your hand. Once your flesh has been killed. And once you have the Holy Spirit. Nobody can take you down. Nobody can take you down. Even if it's just you alone. Even if it's just you alone. I can testify to that. I can stand here and testify to that. That if not for God. I can testify to that. God's strategy is not man's strategy. God's wisdom is not man's wisdom. God's ways are not man's ways. God says, are my thoughts not higher than your thoughts? Are my ways not much better than the ways of men? Look at what praise we do. In Psalm 149 verses 5 and 9, I'm ready to close. It says, let the saints be joyful in glory. Let them sing aloud on their beds. Let the high praises of God be in their mouth. And a two-edged sword in their hand. When you do that, verse 7, give me verse 7, Teresa. Let's see what happens. It says when you are doing that, you are executing vengeance on the nations. And you are executing punishment on the peoples. And you are binding kings with chains. And you're binding nobles. We're talking about demonic spirits now. 
You are binding them with feathers of iron. And you are executing on them the written judgment. And that very last thing says what? This honor what? This honor has what? Pastor Angela? Pastor Larry? This honor has who? All the saints. You have that honor. I have that honor. You want to execute judgment? You want to put the enemy where he belongs? As you follow the Lord with, with, with zeal and with fire? That's what you must do. In one hand, you must have your praise. On the other hand, you must empty yourself of you. And then you must have the fire of the Holy Spirit. The zeal of God burning inside of you. And with that, you don't need a whole lot of people. If they are there, it's good. But if they are not there, it's good also. So that you don't go about your life always thinking you have to have a crowd doing this for you before you can move forward. You don't need that. You need your praise. You need yourself emptied. No sin, no compromise. And then you need the touch. The fire of the Holy Spirit, the zeal of God to consume and to fulfill. Hallelujah. 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 Stand to your feet this morning. Ah, Let's just raise our hands as we pray. All of us pray. Let the musicians come and just play softly. Today we are saying, God, we are coming out. We are coming out. Lord, I'm coming out. I'm no longer going to be in the wine press threshing wheat. I'm stepping into my purpose today in the name of Jesus. Whatever you will for me, whatever you will for my family, whatever you will for my ministry, whatever you will for the Ark Fellowship, Lord. Oh, yanderebo senderebo shehetareaba. Oh, naraba shenderiaba konderiaba sonderiaba. Father God, I pray over your children today. Your word says you will arise. You will arise. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. For you said in your word, the set time to favor your children has come. Lord, you will arise today. You will arise today over the Ark Fellowship. You will arise over every man. You will arise over every woman under the sound of my voice. The sad time to favor you has come. Favor is your portion in the name of Jesus. Favor is your portion in the name of Jesus. Oh, you are blessed going in. You are blessed coming out in the name of Jesus. The Bible says God blessed Noah and his sons. And he said to them, be fruitful, be multiply and replenish the earth. I speak over your life that fruitfulness is your portion today in the name of Jesus. Fruitfulness is your portion in the name of Jesus. You are fruitful, you are expanding, you are growing in the things of God. You are growing in spiritual things. Emotionally, you are growing in every area of your life. You are growing. You are blessed. You are blessed. No one can curse you because God has blessed you. Every work of your hand is blessed. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah. I want the prayer partners to come out. If you need somebody to agree with you, come out. Let's pray for you.